Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Glad we talked about that. Glad we talked about our feelings right off the bat. Um, man, so uh, tonight's going to be fun, um, uh, I, I think. Uh, here's what we're doing tonight. Uh, tonight's going to be a little different, hence the whiteboard, uh, which is technically it's a black board, but it is a white board. Well, I'll explain the physics of that later. Um, but man, tonight we, uh, we just finished up Luke. So we started the book of Luke in maybe mid-August, and uh, whenever we, we kind of relaunched Renovate this year, and we've been through Luke this whole year, and it's been awesome, it's been really life-giving for me, and challenging and convicting, looking at Jesus and his mission and what he calls us to do. And so we got this little two-week window right now before we jump into the next series. And, uh, and so one of the things that is on our, the leadership of this ministry's heart, and Tyler and Casey and our whole team, is... Uh, is really how can we shepherd well and where are you guys at and a recurring thing that, that comes up all the time, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you're tired of it coming up all the time, is the idea of relationships, dating, singleness, marriage, engagement, all of that stuff. And, uh, and, and so we really prayerfully were like, okay, let's tackle some of this stuff. And so that's what tonight's going to be. It's going to be different, though, in this way. I'm going to tell you right off the bat, it's going to be a bait and switch, so I'm going to say we're talking about dating and relationships, but then I'm actually going to spend 30 minutes talking about marriage, and I'll explain why that makes sense here in a second. Uh, but then the other thing we want to do is we want you to um, engage with us. We want you to let us know where you're at in this, the questions. If I say something that pisses you off, if I say something that is controversial that you don't know you agree with, if I say something that confuses you, if as we're preaching through this and we're going to kind of take a broad view of the purpose of how God has designed this thing to work, man, we want you to interact. So we've got a phone number uh, that we'll put up on the screen right there. Uh, you can text anytime and really throughout the next week. And so what's going to happen on this stage next week is tomorrow morning we're going to look at all those texts that you guys sent tonight and we're really going to thoughtfully and considerately and, and prayerfully over this next week, craft, okay, let's really get practical. And so I'm admitting right off the bat what tonight is gonna be is a 30,000 view, 30,000 foot view of relationships and God's design for that and kind of the, the foundation that we need to have a conversation. And then next week, any questions you have, anything that you're like, well, okay, great, that's really cute theology, but how practically does that play out with this? This is all anonymous, so text us, text this number, and, uh, and then we will anonymously try to figure out, uh, we're assuming a lot of the questions are going to be the same. We're going to figure out how to, how to answer those and how to shepherd well in this little two-week thing. So that's where we're going tonight. That's what we're looking at, and uh, I'm excited about it. If you're in this room and you're like, oh, dang it, a relationship dating talk, really? Uh, good. Just send angry, angry memes to me all night. That's fine. Um, we, uh, we really have been prayerful and, and thoughtful about this, and we really want to, uh, to shepherd our people well, and, and so many of you guys are in that season, leaving that season, closer to a season of dating, and so um, that's where we're going with it. So here's why this is a bait and switch. Uh, it's a bait and switch because I say we're going to talk about dating. Our authority is in Scripture. So as believers, our authority for how things work, the lens we look through, how stuff is going to get flushed out in, in the rest of our worldview, our authority, our foundation, we believe here at this church, in this ministry, is the word of God. And so that's where we start, as opposed to, okay, well, let's look at, you know, what Oprah says, or let's look at, she's great, let's look at what, um, you know, let's look at what modern culture has taught us over the last hundred years. We're going to say, now, this is our authority. What does it say? And it says 
next to nothing about dating in the Bible, like almost nothing, right? But what it does talk a lot about is it talks a lot about marriage and what the purpose and the design and the gifting and what marriage and what a spouse is supposed to look like and a husband and wife. And so it talks a lot about the purposes of that. And so what we are going forward as a ministry doing is we're saying, and we're, we're telling you right off the bat, here's why it's a bait and switch, why this isn't just a dating talk, it's a how to prepare for marriage talk. Because I would say dating doesn't actually exist. It doesn't have inherent value in and of itself as a purpose outside of pointing you either towards marriage with somebody or, oh, hell no, away from somebody, right? <laughs> that's, that's the purpose, right? <laughs> yeah. David, I love you, man. <laughs> yeah. Golly. That's going to be so distracting, bro. Your laugh is contagious. Um, okay, so <laughs> we're going to need to get used to that man up there, dude. We love him. Uh, seriously, man, hey, can I go on a rabbit trail here? We have a group of people here, and we don't ever talk about them because they don't want to be talked about because that's not what they signed up for. Um, we have a group of people, though, that show up every Wednesday night early. They get off work and rush right here, and they cook food for us, and it is awesome food, and they set up stuff, and they get drinks ready, and they make awesome pesto sauces, and week after week after week, it is their spiritual service to us and their act of worship, and uh, I mean, there's a whole team of them, and they don't want to be praised, and they don't want to be called up on stage or anything like that. They just want to serve and worship in that way, and so, uh, man, I just want you guys to know that so that you can give glory to God when you see those people, when you think about that, and know that, man, like, these are volunteers who are showing up and serving. Um, Anyway, David's ridiculous laugh reminded me of that. So, because uh, he is on that awesome team of people. So, um, okay, so marriage, dating exists to point either towards marriage or away from it. It's to decide, okay, is this where we're going? And so that's why this is a bait and switch because what we want to do is we want to look at what are the purposes of marriage. Let's look at what the end goal is, let's look at what the design is. And in doing so, I think that's going to be the framework for our conversation and a debate and a, and a, a shepherding. Uh, position to get towards, well, what does dating look like to get there? Uh, there is a train in the mall at, uh, at Ridgemar Mall that my two-and-a-half-year-old son loves. He loves this train, and it's like this little train. I think you pay like $2 or $4 or something, uh, and you put him on it, and it's this little train. And it's got this little you know, high school girl who hates her job who like drives it around the mall, <laughs> and, uh, and it just goes around Ridgemar Mall and then comes back and it ends. And my son thinks it's the coolest thing, and so we always go to it. Um, that is a mall train, right? And it just kind of goes, and inherently, it's not really taking him anywhere. It is just a little fun mall train that ends up in the same spot. There is also something called a real train or the dart rail. I was originally from Dallas. What's it called in Fort Worth? They have a, isn't there like the Trinity something? The TRE. Thanks, guys. So there's something called the TRE. The TRE has inherent purpose. You get on the train at a certain point, and it takes you to another point, and it leads you somewhere towards a destination. If there are brothers and sisters in this room who are treating dating inherently as a, a sport or something that they're doing without an intention, and they're stepping into it with no intention, I don't mean, well, we figure out if we're going to get married by date one. I mean there is an intention behind why would we date. And if it's just, well, we're just dating for fun, well, inherently, that's a mall train. You, you don't actually have any inherent purpose of where you're going. 
But if we approach dating as this is something that we get on to see, is this the direction we want to go? Is that the final destination we're getting? If it's not, okay, cool, I'm going to get off in the next stop because this is creepy. But that's the idea. And so the pushback is there is no dating for sport. In our culture, there is dating for sport left and right. You live in a world saturated with, well, just date for the sake of dating. Right? We train kids at little ages, right? When I was little, it was, will you go out with me? And we are trained to play grown-up. And so when I was like in, in sixth grade, I had a girlfriend. Her name was Shannon Carpenter. She said yes to me. Well, technically, I asked a friend of hers, and then she said yes to the friend, and then that friend told me that, yes, she would go out with me. Technically, I never actually officially broke up with Shannon Carpenter. I realized this much later in my life. Created a lot of problems in my marriage. But my sixth, grade, my sixth grade girlfriend, right, there was this dynamic of we didn't talk. We, there was no purpose to it. We were just, oh, yeah, she's my girlfriend kind of playing this weird sixth grade version of marriage or dating just because we wanted to play grown up. Our world is going to tell us, yeah, you just date and it doesn't have to be a purpose and there doesn't have to be intentionality behind it. I would argue that that is not the case in scripture. So that's where we're going. Um, marriage is the end game. There's all kinds of really practical questions that's going to bring up. I would love for you guys, I would love next week that we just dig into the practical. If that's where you guys want to lead this conversation, um, specifically I have conversations with people saying, okay, great, well, I want to be married, but how do I meet that person? Or how do I get that date? Or how do I pro progress in there? There's all kinds of practical applications of how this plays out and people are different and there's no one-size-fits-all type of relationship. How do I know when it's the right time to get married? Uh, how do I even begin or maintain that relationship? So um, I want us to talk about that stuff. But again, tonight's going to be 30,000 feet to lay the foundation. And uh, I hope that, that next week, if that's where you guys steer the conversation, then that's where we'll go. One other shameless plug. Ryan McCarthy does a relational wisdom class. He's a pastor at this church at 1045 on Sunday morning, starting this Sunday. Man, it's just a cool resource. One of the other, I didn't even sneak it into announcements earlier. Um, if you guys want to check that out, I would encourage you, it's a blessing. It's at 1045 over in that building on Sunday morning, and it's all about what it looks like to have relational wisdom in all sorts of relationships. Um, so check that thing out too if you're interested. Okay, so whiteboard time. Oh, look at this, it's so awesome. Uh, purpose? Oh, marriage. Did I spell this right, guys? Purpose, oh, marriage? Okay. We got, we're good there? Um, okay. First purpose of marriage that we see in Scripture. <clears throat> if you can't see this, I'm just going to leave it up here, and you can walk by later and, and uh, take notes or whatever. Or if you need to get up and walk closer and we'll make fun of you, that's fine too. <clears throat> First. Sanctification. Sanctification. <clears throat> Core purpose of marriage. There's going to be four of these. The 30,000-foot view of do we know where we're going? Do we know what relationships are about? We're dating, but what's the end goal? A core purpose that we have to understand in marriage is the idea of sanctification. Part of God's design for marriage is for our sanctification. That is a fancy Christian word for our maturity, for what matures us, what grows us. Uh, Ephesians 4, 30 and 32, let me flip to it here and read this over you guys. Um, Ephesians 4, 30 and 32, it says this. <clears throat> 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as, as God in Christ forgave you. Right off the bat, we see what we see is Paul here in Ephesians start talking about, okay, this whole, this whole relational dynamic in general is designed to kind of be hard. It's about forgiving. It's about, um, it's about loving people in this, in this very specific but difficult way. Uh, this is hard. Love and marriage is meant to sharpen. Let me look at another, let me show you another verse when we look at what love is. And this is a verse that gets read at just about every wedding ever. It's 1 Corinthians 13, and it defines love. And, and notice that it's not defining love as flowery, the last episode of The Bachelor, right? That's not how it's defining, that's not how it's defining love. It's defining love as this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. It doesn't say love is a it's this magical feeling that you have on like the eighth date and you're sitting across from the person and it's this, it's this gushy emotion that you feel. It's, it's hard stuff. The number one reason when I ask somebody uh, who's maybe getting engaged, I'm like, hey man, so why are you marrying this girl, right? If I'm talking to a dude, why are you marrying this girl? Uh, their number one answer, and I'm not picking on them because I said the exact same thing and probably would say the same thing if I had to go back, is Man, I just, I love, I love who she is. I love how she makes me feel when I'm around her. This is always the answer has something to do with they love her, um, but the object of their love also is an incredibly reciprocating love. It's, it's very much driven by this idea that, man, I really feel loved, and when I'm around them, I want to be a better person, or they complete me, or that, man, it's this really, really, uh, this great feeling I have with them, and they empower me, and they make me strong, and they're just this awesome compliment to me which is great. Here's the thing. The purpose of marriage, one of the core purposes, is not about how great they're going to make me feel. In fact, it's the opposite. It's about my maturity, which is about doing hard things and being chiseled and, 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 and my maturity and my selfishness being revealed. I have never had my selfishness more revealed in my entire life than through my marriage. Because then all of a sudden, my world no longer revolves around me. There's this new person that enters into my world. And all of a sudden, this person reveals, well, wait, wait a second, I want this. And they want something else. And, then, and all of a sudden, it reveals our sin. It reveals all the areas that I need to mature and grow out of and, and push through. The purpose, one of the core purposes of marriage is for our sanctification. The number one kick in the teeth for any marriage in the first couple of years is not don't make sure you have enough money. It's not uh, make sure you got your jobs lined up. It's not the number one kick in the teeth for a, a marriage in its, in its infancy. The kick in the teeth comes from unmet expectations. That's where it comes from. So when my wife and I do premarital counseling, so much of our premarital counseling is driven on, let's get you guys communicating and get you in a place, first of all, where you're loving Jesus and loving each other the way Christ loved, but also let's get you in a place where you have healthy expectations of where you're going. People are not, someone very wise told me this, people are not disappointed by bad circumstances. That's not where disappointment comes. People are disappointed by unmet expectations. 
if, uh, if a buddy is like, hey, man, uh, let's say I'm from a different planet and I've never been to a gym before, right? Which <laughs> obviously is not true. But let's say <laughs> I've never been. <laughs> let's say I've never been to a gym before, right? <clears throat> and somebody says, hey, man, there's this really cool thing. And I go into a gym thinking it's some sort of like new sporty hipster arcade, right? And so I walk into a gym and my expectations are, oh, this is like a sporty hipster arcade. All right, let me see how these games work. And it's like, yeah, you like sit here and then you like do this like 18 times. And you sit over here and you like do these and you do (laughs) exactly what you do. And and then you like run on this machine to nowhere and there's no like point system and you just are doing all these things, right? Like my expectations would be like, dude, this is the worst hipster sports arcade ever. This place sucks. That was painful. That was annoying. There was no point to it. I'm sore. I'm sore for a couple of days after because my expectations were, I thought this was like going to be this fun arcade and like, it's like, I thought I was like going to the bar and getting like some sweet smoothie and it was like whey protein and it tastes like somebody yacked in a cup and gave it to me and I'm like, what the heck? This sucked, right? Because, because my expectations, because my expectations were different. Man, we go, we approach marriage and this affects how we date. We wouldn't tell you this if this didn't directly, absolutely, 100% affect how you date, how you see the opposite sex, how you see other people, because it, it changes your perspective. And now all of a sudden, we're walking into relationships no longer with a level of, man, how is this person really going to make me feel special? Does this girl really make me feel good? Or does this guy, is he really making, instead, what if we really held on to this purpose? And we walked into relationships and said, is this person gonna just awkwardly build spiritual and emotional muscle in my life as I date them and reveal hard things? And the gym is not fun in and of itself, but the results are. Sanctification and the maturity process, the end goal is that we might be more selfless, that we might love more, that we might, all of those things in 1 Corinthians 13, right? That's the end goal. So it changes how, if we hold this as the end goal of where that train is going and one of the purposes, it changes how we date. It changes how we see other people. No longer is it about me. No longer, no longer is it about my chemistry with the person as a sole purpose. No longer is it about me trying to figure out how compatible I am. Now, I'm not dismissing compatibility altogether, but I'm definitely downplaying it, without a doubt. I think our culture overvalues compatibility over where scripture would say. I think it's important to make sure, okay, does this person speak the same language as I do? Is this person, I think there's elements of compatibility that are important that you're gonna walk through in a dating relationship, but I'm gonna push back. If that offends you, text me about it. But I'm gonna push back on compatibility because I think instead we say, how does this person sharpen and challenge and grow me and and how how do they chisel me? to be more the man that God has called me to be or to be more the woman that God has called me to be, and that's hard. And I don't mean any kind of abusive way. I, I only mean in a loving way. I don't mean, oh, man, that guy like cusses and like throws beer bottles at me, so that's gonna be really hard, so I'm gonna enter into a relationship. I mean just the opposite. I mean, how do they love me well but love me in a way that maybe is, is hard at times because we hold on to this core value, the purpose where this train is going is sanctification. It's not just my comfort and my compatibility. Next core, core spot we're going. Which, by the way, man, The Bachelor, um, that show, God, I hate that show. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Now, do I watch it every week? Oh, heck yeah, I do. Heck yeah. It's going to be the most dramatic, shocking finale ever. I've got to watch it, right? How do you not watch the most shocking finale ever? Um, I watch it, right? It's a train wreck. It's Danielle and I, we watch it and we, we treat people that we're seeing on TV like they're not real people and their lives are comical to us. And then I realize, oh man, that's actually like a real woman created in the image of Christ that just got ran through that gamut of lies. But, uh, but yeah, man, that show, anyway, that's a rabbit trail. Okay, next one. <clears throat> Second, purpose of marriage. Should I switch colors? That would be cool, wouldn't it? <clears throat> I'm gonna switch colors, guys. We're gonna go, we're gonna go blue. Blue on this one. Feeling this one. <clears throat> oh, that's good. Am I right? There it is. You guys are feeling the Holy Spirit now. <laughs> Illustration. Especially David. <laughs> Especially David. All right. <clears throat> Purpose number two, illustration. Our, uh, our, our, the end goal of, of a marriage, sanctification, but also illustration in the way that to other people, we are called, we are commanded in Scripture, defined in those relationships um, by being light, by being a lighthouse, by being salt, by, by being a place that our neighbors look at, by being a relationship where our neighbors look and they say, there's something different about them. There's something different about their relationship. There's something different about how they love each other and how they interact. There's something different about how he serves her and how she really supports him and and we are called to be set apart. And, our, and, and these relationships that God has designed are designed to push people towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me bring us to some, some scripture here. Ephesians 5. Gosh, this is good. Ephesians 5. I'm going to read 10 verses. I'm going to read 22 through 32 to you. So Ephesians 5, 22 through 32. I'm going to read it over you. This is what it says. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord... For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and, him, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And this is where, this is where he lands the plane in chapter five. Paul says this, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. One of our callings in uh, a marriage, uh, if Lord, the Lord wills that, and if that's where that train goes in your life, is to be an illustration, to be a picture of the way Christ loves the church and the way the church loves Christ. We see this dynamic here where he, he paints out uh, husbands, he says, wives, love your husbands and submit to them the way the church is supposed to, to Christ. And then the trump card to that, for any people who are like, man, that really stinks for the wife, has to like submit, this stinks. Then he says, husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. 
which is definitely the short end of the stick. In the relationship between the church, the people of God, people who love and worship God, and Jesus, Jesus definitely got the short end of that stick. Because the church is, uh, for the sake of this illustration and throughout history, been relatively a, a schizophrenic wife who has committed adultery on her husband time and time again, is the church. We have turned our back on him. We as believers have betrayed our God time and Jesus is the one who laid his life down even because of that, out of his great love for the body of Christ. So, so that's the picture we're supposed to have. It's an illustration. So it pushes back in the idea, the way the culture perverts that, the way the culture takes this idea and the way it perverts is it, is it turns it into a contract. And uh, just about every wedding I do, I, I kind of go through this list and I kind of compare what it looks like to have a contract and what it looks like to have a covenant. And here's uh, some distinctions. In a contract, you would say, you had better do it. Or you'd say, what do I get? Or you'd say, it's not my responsibility if it's not in your contractual responsibility. But in a covenant, you would say, well, how may I serve you? What can I give? And you'd say, I'm happy to do it. In a contract, you'd say, well, I have to, and it's a deal. In a covenant, you'd say, I want to, it's a relationship. In a contract, you inherently say, well, I'll meet you halfway. And a worldly perspective, the, the perversion of this is, hey, it's a give and take, a marriage. Right? It's, it's this idea that, well, they've got to come this way, and then I'll meet them this way, and we're going to meet halfway, or maybe if we're really good, we'll go 60-40. But it's this idea of kind of this give and take. Whereas with the gospel, the gospel is not a give and take. We're not, we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace. He entered into a covenant with us. And so it's not, I'll meet you halfway. It's, I'll give 100%. I will give 100%. And it is a part of the inherent design of these earthly relationships to point other people towards that gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow, man. I don't know. I could have stayed married to that girl. That guy loves Jesus, and he has pursued her, and he has chased after her. Man, I don't know if I could marry that guy, and I stay married after that. Wow, she loves Jesus more than she loves him, and and that love and the covenant they're in has sustained their marriage and brought them through really, really hard times and through really, really low valleys. Contract and covenant, man. That's, that's what we are, we are called to be in a covenant with him. But our world will say, well, just, just meet us halfway. I, I would also go a little further, and I would say if you are the uh, guy in the relationship, I would say it is your role to take the short end of the stick. So if you don't like that I said that, you can text me. But that's what I would say. I would say it is our role to take the short end of the stick whenever, wherever we can, if there's a sacrifice to be made. And so how that affects unmarried people is it starts to shape, this is the destination. And so all of a sudden it starts to shape how I'm attracted to somebody, who and what, and it starts to shape that dating relationship. You see where I'm going with this. Third, <clears throat> third, <clears throat> this is, uh, we'll go hot pink. <laughs> you guys will know why here in a second. <clears throat> Three, Procreation. Oh, we got clapping for that. And sex, right? <clears throat> so I'm with hot pink because it felt appropriate. <clears throat> you can't escape it. One of the biblical purposes of marriage is procreation and sex. Um, it is to, we see in... Uh, we see in Genesis 9, 7, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, multiply in it. <clears throat> we see in 1 Corinthians 7, and this is a paraphrase, Paul says, man, if you're married, get some, right? That's what he says, paraphrase. <clears throat> uh, don't hold back, like, 
meet those physical needs of each other. It's part of the design. You're going to stumble if you're not. So, man, meet those physical needs and get some for the, the sake of being able to stay focused on the mission. Um, clearly a paraphrase, but look it up in 1 Corinthians 7. <clears throat> part of the design. This is a big one that gets hijacked. That's the design. We know how this one gets hijacked. <clears throat> Sex has been completely hijacked by our culture. Sex was something that our God created. Sex was something that our God said, oh man, this is going to be awesome and worshipful and designed in this relationship that's gonna bring me glory and it's gonna bring them together in ways that other relationships won't be able to experience and I have built into marriage this incredible thing and biology and anatomy and all these things that's gonna be a beautiful, beautiful thing and our culture has hijacked that. It has hijacked it. And we, the culture, has then turned and said, oh, well, the church doesn't want us to have sex, and they're against sex, but we, we're all about sex, and we're free with it because it's out of bounds of its design. And so it's not the way it's designed. So we've taken something that God designed to be incredible, and we're not operating it in the correct way. And every one of us, later tonight, can go home, and we can turn on our computers or our iPads or our smartphones, and we can have sex with ourselves. That is the culture we live in. We live in a culture that is saturated with pornography, immediate gratification at every turn. At any moment, I can say, well, I have a sexual need. Do I operate within the bounds of how God designed it to be incredible and awesome? Well, I can just, I don't even need another person. I can just get on the internet and, and watch things that stimulate my mind and, and synapses fire, and I can go down those roads on my own. And it's a perversion of what God made, which is a good thing. And the church should celebrate it, and the church should encourage it to happen within the context of how God has made it. And so even in relationships, right, in relationships, and I, I, to be transparent, I want you to know, I want you to know I am not a pastor up here on stage who has never made mistakes and is coming down and saying, my wife and I, before we were married, wrestled with breaking every boundary in the book. Man, we struggled. My immaturity in leading my wife physically led to some real damage in our relationship. I am speaking from a place that I have seen, not just in the friends that I've walked with and people I've mentored, it damage and break and ruin and rob people, but in my own life, I've seen it affect. I've seen struggle with pornography in my own personal life rob me of worship and be something that I'm shackled to personally. As a, as a pastor, as a, as a man who's spending his life, pouring his life out for, for God, and then there's this, there's this secret shackle that, that I wrestle with, and, and it's shameful, and walking, trying to walk out victory in that, and still not having arrived, and um, I, I still don't trust myself. I still have to have accountability. I still have to have fil filters on my computer, because I just don't trust myself, because I know how big of a sinner I am. So I get this. I do. I get this but it has hijacked relationships. And man, we'll we be in relationships. And it is natural. And it is God designed to be in this relationship. And we prolong these relationships and we try to plateau them and, and we, well, let's just do this in our time. Let's take God's way and let's do it in our will. Instead of saying, hey, this is something that he's built for marriage, man, we love each other, or this is fun, or man, we've been down this road, or I've been down this road with somebody else, and I didn't care about them as much as I care about this person. And so we, we justify it, and I've justified it, and we go down these, these roads with our, our sin, and it robs us. 
and it takes and it destroys. And man, it affects all of us. And it's prowling and it's waiting to kill and destroy. God's design. Sex is not the enemy. Sexuality, that's not the enemy. It's designed to be in this beautiful, awesome thing. The world has perverted and we have, certainly I have, have spent seasons chasing after that. Not trusting his way, but I, I want to do it my own way. Um, I want to say this too. Um, When we talk about boundaries, physical boundaries, right? So, okay, man, sexual stuff, or even filters on my computer that like send an accountability report to my dad and my brother and my buddy, and it shows what I look at on the internet and all these things. We build these boundaries around that. Here's one of the things that happens. And and if if you're in this camp, I want you to hear this. You think, what the heck, man? These boundaries are beating and they're annoying and, oh, I'm not supposed to do this or, okay, I'm not supposed to go this far, right? These boundaries are not meant to be killjoys. Boundaries are meant to produce worship in us. That's why we have boundaries up. We don't, have, we don't create boundaries. We don't get in relationships with other people and say, hey, let's put a boundary or, hey, man, we shouldn't trust ourselves to, like, be hanging out and, like, stay over at my house. It's way more convenient. Save gas mileage. Just crash at my place. Maybe we shouldn't trust ourselves this much because we're sinners and because there's temptation there. But instead of seeing boundaries as, oh God, this is what I'm supposed to do as a Christian, what if we saw boundaries as, this is gonna lead me to more worship. This is gonna protect this girl's heart to be able to worship better because in his design, down that road leads to emptiness in our way. But his way is gonna lead to more and more and more worship. So what if we saw boundaries as a form to produce more worship in the same way that we say, man, let's sing this song or let's get another drummer up here. Let's add more music to our worship. Let's add more fellowship time to this thing. Let's add more boundaries to our life, not as a bad killjoy, but as something that stirs and produces worship in us. That's why boundaries exist. That's why we want boundaries. That's why we want to wrap our mind around what a boundary looks like um, for the positive. Procreation, kind of in that same thing. Um, yeah. Um, I'm just going to skip to the last one because I want to make sure I land in the right place and I want to make sure that uh, I have time to land on the most important thing I want you guys to hear. So stick with me, especially through this last one because I know sexual sin has affected so many. I don't want you to leave until you hear what we do with that. But first I want to talk about this last and final purpose. Um, <clears throat> Partnership, and I would say specifically partnership in mission, on mission, a purpose that we see in scripture of a a marriage, of, of that earthly relationship, one of the purposes is to have an earthly partner. Uh, to have an earthly partner that we are not just a partner for my own fun, right, but a partner for my sanctification, not just because it makes me feel good, um, but instead, not just someone who I'm compatible with and, and you know, we're going to meet halfway, but a partner that I can be on mission with. Because as we saw in the Gospel of Luke through 24 chapters, Jesus and his mission is what has been laid before us. Go and reach those. Go and make disciples. If you are a follower of Christ, you are called to go and make disciples. We, we say this a lot, but the idea that if you are following Jesus, if you say you're following Jesus and you're not making disciples and loving others and bringing others, I don't know what you're doing, but I don't think you're really following Jesus because that's what he did and that's what he calls his people to do. And I don't mean you're not leading a small group. I mean you're not loving other people. 
If you're not living that out, well, then you're not really following. You're not really a disciple. We are called to be on mission. We are called to be on mission right now. Not when we get married. We are called to be on mission right now. And in fact, 1 Corinthians talks about how we actually, as, as singles, you have more ability to do ministry. You have more margin and ability, and when you get married, that mission field changes a little bit. But one of the purposes is to have a wife, to have a husband who will encourage and inspire and motivate and allow us to do more ministry. We'll be able to love neighbors. We'll be able to, to love coworkers. We'll be able to love family members. We'll be able to disciple children. We'll be able to be on mission together. And a core purpose is that you find someone who can run that race with you and spur you on to mission. And if you're not on mission right now and you're not married, well, then it's gonna be really hard to all of a sudden start beyond mission when you do get married. Because the way this gets perverted and the flip side of this one uh, is, hey, we got married, let's just focus on us time for a while. We see it all the time in young adult ministry. Man, people who are really on mission and they're involved and they're a part of a ministry and then they get married and it's the, well, we just wanna focus on our, on our marriage. What, what does that mean? Like, your marriage isn't about you. It's not about you focusing on each other. Your marriage is about how you can spur each other on to love more people. I'm not saying don't have boundaries and date nights and spend time and, and build your relationship and have a foundation, but there's an element of withdrawnness that happens in marriages. That, that's not what we see in Scripture. Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, we see this, this woman who is just the picture of godliness, and she is a true partner to her husband. It talks about in Proverbs 31 how the husband is working at the city gates all day and, and she, she has honored him so much and she's doing these things, allowing him to do these things and he's doing these things, allowing her to go and do these things. Um, tonight is a great example. I have a two and a half year old son. My wife is partnered with me. So I get to be the guy on stage rambling for 35 minutes. She gets to partner in ministry because she st is tonight specifically because we couldn't get a babysitter, staying at home and holding the rope that I wouldn't be able to do. And she partners with me in incredible ways. And maybe her giftings and the way she partners, they aren't as obvious. She doesn't get as much affirmation from, from people, but she better get it and, and, and you should see it as, man, that is a, a partner. Partnered towards mission, core purpose. Okay, here's where I wanna land this. Big ideas, big purposes of marriage. This sucks. I want these. I'm not married. When the world, this is a beating. Obviously, this is great. These should be the goal that we set towards that should shape how we see each other. It should redefine the boundaries of who you're dating, who you're not dating. It should, it should start to influence who you're attracted to. Because all of a sudden, you're not just looking for, oh, compatibility, and does this person make me feel good? All of a sudden, you're looking for biblical purposes of the end goal. And if you're just dating for fun, and you have no intention of getting married, well, stop. That's not in God's design. I'm not saying you need to be ready to be married right now when you start dating. But it should be a process. It should be an evaluation. That's why dating exists, to evaluate, are you ready? Are they ready? Are, do they match these things? Is this what the Lord's will is? This is the 30,000-foot goal that we put and say, this is how God's designed it. So if the majority of people in this room are single, then we say, okay, if this is the goal, how does it shape how I walk that out through the next year, through the next 10 years? Then how does it shape moving towards that? How does it shape my community? How does it shape my interaction with the opposite sex? If this is the purpose of that end goal, here's where I want to land. Two camps of people in here. 
one camp of people that hears this and they think, golly, yes, I want this. I'm, I've been asking. I have been faithful. I have heard these things. I have functioned, for the most part, pretty well with these things. I'm trying to be Christ-like. I'm trying to be a godly woman or a godly man. I'm trying to do this. I'm waiting, and I'm frustrated, and here's another married dude standing on stage talking about how great and how godly the purposes of marriage are. Obviously, I want that. Here's what I want you to hear tonight. <clears throat> we, we believe fundamentally, as believers, that for one, we're not entitled to this. We're not entitled to this. And so we fight against entitlement. Um, we didn't get into procreation, but my wife and I, we, we had two miscarriages uh, before we had our son. And it rocked us because we felt like, well, we're entitled, we're married, we have to have kids. That's something that has to happen. And going through two miscarriages and realizing, is this going to happen every time? It takes us back and says, if we never have kids, is God still good? Is God still good? Is he still worthy of my worship? Is his plan, is the eternal perspective, is he still good if that never happens? And so if you're in this room and you say yes to this, tell this to the dudes or tell this to these girls who don't get it. I'm frustrated. My challenge is finding your contentment in Christ. That's so easy to say. I get it. That's so easy to say. Is he enough? Is he still worthy of your worship right now if you don't have these things and you want them? Is he still worthy of your worship right now? Is he still good? There's still the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Is there still joy and peace in my life? Fighting and wrestling. Because maybe your singleness is actually a way that God is producing sanctification. Man, that's easy for me to say. Hard to walk through. We say it because we love you. We want that for you. We want you to fight. Not for complacency, but fight for being satisfied in who Christ is and where he has you for this season. Praying for big things. Wanting big things. Next week, I want to talk about a whole bunch of practical ways and then, like, let's just start lining up this chapel and just start doing weddings, man. Let's just do arranged marriages and just get this thing knocked out and be like, man, I don't know how to freaking meet somebody who's like this. Well, let's just do it right now. And you and you, come on. Raise your hand if you want to get married. We'll get, real, we'll get as practical as you want next week, right? We'll get as practical as you want next week, as practical as you want to define it. Um, here's the other camp of people I want to talk to. So camp one, I hope you know you're loved. I hope you know that he is enough and he's, he's good enough. Here's the second camp, and I want to be quick, but I don't want to be too quick because I, I don't want you to miss this. <clears throat> you, I have been in this camp for plenty of my life. My wife has stuck in this camp for the longest time. Um, man, you've already blown it, right? It's like, golly, I've already made these mistakes. I've already, I even knew the right thing, and I didn't do the right thing, and I, maybe I'm in, I'm living the, the perversions of these things now. Maybe the, the sexual sin I'm stuck in right now. I'm stuck in a relationship that's about me or I'm stuck in a, in a it, maybe it's not even in a dating relationship. Maybe you're stuck in a, a cycle of pornography or you're stuck in a broken image of yourself that keeps coming back and playing over and over again and, and there's a, an eating disorder that just keeps haunting you because you can't see clearly the truth of what he says for you and you're just living this lie, right? And so you're sitting there and you're thinking, really? This is the Wednesday night I walked into? That night that you lay down the, oh, how great is the godly way to do marriage, and here I am, covered in shame, full of mistakes, maybe walking those mistakes out, kid still. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a quick story. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Hosea. God tells that prophet, he says, hey, I want you to go marry a girl named Gomer, and she's a prostitute. 
She's a prostitute. And God says, marry this prostitute. He's like, okay, God, I trust you. He goes and he marries a prostitute. She has a baby. That baby wasn't his, right? She was still sleeping around. Baby wasn't his. He starts raising it. She, hey, come on, man. Like, I'm trying to show you grace. Come on. She comes back into the home, leaves again out in the world. He's a prophet, godly, faithful man. Have another baby, not his also. So now he's raising illegitimate children. She eventually just is like, you know what? You're nice, but I'm going to go chase that lifestyle, right? This is a, in the Old Testament, right? This is in the word of God. She goes off and just becomes full-on prostitute, lives in a, in a house where she is abused and used over and over and over and over and over again until eventually she's so used up that no one wants to pay money for her. No one even wants to pay money for her, man. That's how gross the scene's gotten. And they bring her on a slave block, and they stand her in front of a slave block because at this point, it's like she's kind of used up. Does anyone want anything for this woman? Does anybody want anything for that? I mean, she's used, she is... You know, she's been down every road, and it's, you know, it's just, it's filthy. And God has put this prophet, so she gets brought in front of this, this block of slaves, saying, man, somebody would buy her. She can just be a slave in your house or, you know, do your laundry or something, because she's no good for that anymore. Gomer shows up. Gomer shows up, I mean, excuse me, Hosea shows up before Gomer and says, I want her. Hosea, the prophet. The husband who's been cheated on over and over and over and over again stands up before his wife who has betrayed him time and time again and says, I will give everything I have to buy her back. I want her. I'm buying her back. And if I run out of money, I got some barley in the back and I can trade that for more money because she is mine. If you're in this room and you feel like, I have messed up already. Man, I've gone too far. I'm ruined. I'm wrecked. Hear the gospel of Jesus Christ tonight. Hear the truth that, man, we have a God who stands there and looks at you and doesn't look at you like you've been down that road and, oh, you did that and, oh, you knew you weren't supposed to and you're, oh, and you're living in that now. He looks at you and says, I am buying you back. Sisters, that is what your father is saying tonight. Brothers, that is what your dad is saying tonight. He's saying, I want you back. And we see now in the New Testament, we see Christ come and die and pay the penalty, and that is the cost. And he says, no, you are not going to be a slave to that sin. No, you will not be stained forever. You are going to be a new creation. You're going to be mine. That is the God that we worship, man. That is what we're about. That is why it's worth giving our life to be on this mission, because he has saved us, and he has come and he has bought us as a price. There is a response, though. There is a response that is required of you. That response is your faith. He pays us. He pays for us. He laid down his life. He sent his son to die. Our response is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? And are you willing to stop, repent, and believe? Put your faith in what he has done and say, I am turning from that and I am walking back towards him, and I believe that he has bought me. He has made me white as snow. He has made me a new creation. I am his again, and, and nothing I can do will separate, and I'll try to run, and he'll pull me back. That is our response, and it is not easy. Honestly, it is not easy. It is so hard to walk that faith out, to believe that truth about this relationship between the God of the universe and us, a bunch of broken sinners, but that is what he offers. Let me pray over you. Father, um, 
Lord, would this just ring true, God? Uh, Lord, there's so much here that we talked about, and we're just all over the place with relationships and your design. Um, God, remind us of the gospel. Lord, if anything else, if we leave today and we maybe have a better perspective of marriage, and maybe that's influenced somehow dating, God, with the biggest thing we walk out of here, knowing that our life should be changed by the gospel, the good news. We were far from you. We were, we were the schizophrenic whore of a bride. And you have still called us, still bought us, still desire to redeem us, and now continually renovating and changing and maturing our lives. God, would we respond, Lord? Would we not hear this and walk out of here unchanged? Would we hear this and be changed? Would, we, would this grace produce change in our life? Would recognizing your kindness produce repentance? And by repentance, we mean running from sin. We mean running towards what makes sense and how you've designed it to work in your design. Not because your design is a killjoy and you, you want to put us, but because your design is actually where there is life and joy and that's how we're called to operate. God, would we walk that out? Would we fall in love with you because we recognize how much you love us? Would we be humbled and just brought to our knees by how you love us? Holy Spirit, do that work in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen.